Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Chris Pryor, one of my good friends. Uh, today, I, I want to talk about um, practice, and the reason why I want to talk about practice is because uh, when people like me get up to talk, we talk about the whys of Christian schooling, and we never get down um, to beyond the hows to the whats. Um, and I'm conscious of that. So I really want to go down to the what we do, what can we do as we have our particular focus on um, education. Um, broadly speaking, I'm going to... It's always a worry when there's lots of points, so I do apologise for this, but broadly I'm going to talk about six areas. Um, I'm going to talk about um, boards and association as the head of uh, the Christian school, leaders who embody and celebrate and share and equip, if you like, the heart, the staff who are on um, the ground, embracing and embedding practice... Uh, students whose student formation should be an outworking of our vision for schooling. I want to talk about parents as well, who we should be welcoming all the time to be vision partners and hopefully custodians of the vision as they um, embrace the journey with us. And penultimately, Jerry, I would like to talk about curriculum and pedagogy, which should mirror our vision for schooling. And then ultimately, I'm just going to briefly talk about, um, say, infrastructure and resources. First of all, I, I have a little bit of a uh, preamble. During this presentation, knowing there are six areas, you'll probably be a bit worried about halfway through when I appear to be very um, much at the start of the presentation. But I am going to focus um, to a large extent on boards and school leaders. Um, and I will not so quickly go through the rest of the stuff, but uh, you'll be getting the, the, the sort of methodology that I'm using um, as I go through. When I was a school principal, there were many things that kept me up at night. Um, I'm so grateful that I'm retired from such things. But now there are other things that keep me up at night. And uh, for some of you, they may seem bizarre. One of them is uh, perhaps best summed up uh, by David Smith in his book last year. Uh, and it's this statement that Christian schools in some way promise uh, a distinctive Christian education. It seems strange that that keeps me up, but I'll explain a little bit further. First of all, those who have heard me speak before will know when I start talking about Christian um, schooling, I first want to talk about the church, and I often reference uh, Richard Mao, um, who wrote uh, The God Who Commands in 1990, and he said that Christians play favourite with the members of the Trinity. And I think this is helpful for us uh, in some of our practices uh, at church, in our worship, or what we call Christian worship. There are some churches that will focus on God the Father, there's others that will have an emphasis on Jesus the Son, and there are yet others that will have a focus on the Holy Spirit. When I was a principal, I often had people coming into the school seeking enrolment, and they often were suggesting there was one approach to Christian schooling, so they may have gone down the road and, and put in an application there and then come to your school, put an application there, and not understand that uh, Christian schooling is nuanced. It's uh, contextual. And in a lot of respects, it can be very different. I'm going to use an example to explain this, and I'm not going to go um, within our own sector, which has been described as thermelic Christian schooling or new Christian schools, but I'm going to again go to where I continue to go, and that is the Catholics. Within Catholic education, there is the Edmund Rice tradition. It is a particular approach to schooling within the Catholic Church. There are three documents there, which I don't imagine you can see, but the first of which suggests that there is a distinct and authentic culture 
of an Edmund Rice school. So I would imagine that if you were going into an Edmund Rice school, whether you are a parent who is looking to do that or you are a teacher or you are a leader, you would understand that there are certain distinctives that go with that particular approach to school. One of, uh, one of the reasons for my sleeplessness is not so much around the particular particularity of our own particular uh, approach to schooling, but it's more around the fact that there's a lack of particularity. There's a lack of clarity. There's ambiguous language that is used um, and often that leads to ambiguous practice. And I will flesh that out for you during this session. To me, in reading and listening and learning from those who are more mature than myself, who have been involved in Christian schooling in the CEN tradition uh, much more than myself, um, I understand the importance of the Lordship of Christ. It's not for us to be expressed just individually, but as I've written there, it's to be expressed in community and it's to be expressed vocationally and it's to be expressed intellectually. And we use phrases like every square inch and those of us involved with the National Institute would use the word Kuiperian to talk about our particular approach, that every square inch matters to us across our schooling. But we also use this word or this statement of Christ-centeredness, and it's such a vague term. And later on, I'll talk a little bit more about this, because there's lots of people who use this term Christ-centered in their educational practice but it does mean literally different things where you go and it can be problematic for us as we engage in Christian education. For us that are involved in CN, we have a particular view that is um, connected to the Lordship of Christ. In Nancy Pearcey's book, she quotes the Christian um, artist, I believe he's a rapper, Mark, you'd be familiar with such things. Um, I'm not quite so. But Lecrae says, uh, Christianity is the truth about everything. If you say you have a Christian worldview, that means you see the world through that lens. Not just how people get saved and what they stay away from. And that is our approach to schooling. One in which we try to say our faith matters in every aspect of our life, including education. And we would use something like a Christian worldview. We would use Christian worldview language to describe that. If we were to look at life and we start at the beginning, we have an end, and we live within this subset of, of time in between the beginning and the end, uh, we have worldview as something that we see that invites young people to see and understand the world through the perspective of God's truth. So in the classroom, we seek to equip our children with the knowledge of Christian worldview as we desire that they have lives that glorify the Lord. And in that, we may use questions, typical worldview questions, to describe our approach. And certainly, from my perspective, People's answers to these questions inform many things and certainly will inform what happens in the classroom. So those four fundamental questions of where am I, how will it end, why am I here and what is right and wrong with the world. We use that hopefully through our schools. I say all that as preamble just to give you an understanding of the approach that I'm taking. But I want to start with us as board members and then I'll move on to us as school leaders. I was a little bit taken back last year when I attended the governance conference. Uh, I came to a realisation that perhaps I should have known before that, that we're all in the same situation. Uh, I think Chris spoke about pride today. 
when I was a head of secondary, I used to go to head of secondary meetings and um, we used to wear really nice suits and ties. And when you introduce yourself to someone, I'd say, where are you from? And you'd say the school. And the next question would be, how big's the school? And the next question would be, so what are you building at the moment? Then I became a principal and people would say to me, what do you do? And I would say, sick of this, I work at a school. So what do you teach? Oh, I don't teach very much. So what do you do? I'm the principal. Oh, you're the principal. How big's the school? What are you building? So I go to this governance conference last year and these board members introducing themselves to each other. And the question is, so where do you come from? Come from the school. What's the size of the school? And this goes around until someone says, I'm from a multi-purpose, a multi-campus school. We have so many schools and all that sort of stuff. And then everyone is silent. <laughs> because they've worked out who is the most influential in that space. Surely we have a different language. Surely size doesn't matter. If we're to have the gospel rather than culture, why does size matter? Why do we describe ourselves in this way? We're so culturally embedded, we can't help it. Thankful for the work of Ken Dickens in so many ways. It, it made me just, I just cut and paste half of his work into my thesis and uh, I don't think my supervisor noticed, so it was fantastic. <laughs> One of those quotes, uh, although the maintenance of standards was considered important in CN schools, the role of parents in guarding the school's distinctive Christian character appeared to be equally emphasised. So we're, we're, we're concerned about quality education, but we're also concerned about a distinctive approach to Christian schooling. If I was to sit before you uh, in the boardroom and you were to say to me, so what do we mean by vision, first of all, Chris? What are we talking about? I'm not just talking about a vision statement. I'm talking about a vision statement that sums up your biblical understandings of who the school is, of what it means to be human, of what it means to be educate, uh, to educate people, what it means to fulfil the gospel in the school context, and then you encapsulate that from your history, from your heritage in a vision statement. Vision statements may change. So when I'm talking about vision here, I'm talking about a statement that is simple yet has depth underneath it. If boards are all about strategic planning, then I would suggest that the importance of the vision needs to be seen throughout the strategic documents. We can get distracted when we do strategic planning because we can be focused on buildings and we can be focused on student numbers and we can be focused on things that are very, very tangible for us. But we need to find a way to have the vision guiding our strategic planning, guiding our practice. If we do this, then what we should have is the reporting requirements of our school leaders coming back to us, which is an explanation of how the vision, vision is embedded in the life of the school through the leadership through the teachers, across the school culture, to the students, shaping their lives. So as a previous principal, I didn't have a lot of board reports that included how the vision is enacted and given that to the board. But it is our fundamental goal, isn't it? To have a vision that is enacted. As people of the vision, we don't just need to have it in our statements, but we also need to be focused on succession 
And that is succession not just of the board, uh, but also of our parents in their understanding. I think a key and fundamental thing that we should be doing in Christian schools is finding the ways to get the stories of our community across. Those schools that have Founders Days or Pioneers Days who have recorded the testimony of those early people who have worked and strived in the community, that is gold. It gives the students, if they're there listening to those grandparents, a real rich understanding of the fact that this school has existed for some period of time. It values those people and it gives more depth and shape to what the school is about. As we induct our parents into the school community, we need to make sure that we're giving them some information about the history and the heritage of CEN, of our particular school in context. So when they come to the board, if, if they get to that space, then they'll have an understanding that can inform the vision and the way it is enacted in the life of the school. If you've come into a school and you've been in school for, say, one year, I'm not sure you're going to have that perspective when you're getting to the board. You might have great management skills. You might have good corporate knowledge. You might be a great financial practitioner. But this richness that we talk about within our heritage that is fundamental to what we're trying to do as we shape kids, where's that? And when we talk about mission drift... This is what we're talking about. Having the story, the cultural story embedded across our schools. Of course, leadership appointments are very important. And I heard Rod say today, and I quote, I, I obviously listen to Rod because he's my boss, but I also wrote this down. Faithful presence equals do the work, not import the solution. Sometimes I think principles are seen as a panacea. That's an issue for us. Our trouble is that we get focused on the here, the now, the practical, the things that we can do. We've got these board reports. So in Mission Drift... Greer and Hurst say, for a faith-based organisation, a preoccupation with the financial and growth metrics unintentionally sends the message that financial and numerical success are preeminent. What's not measured slowly becomes irrelevant. And they actually say in that book, you have to find a way to measure this nebulous thing that is Christian schooling, how we're impacting the life of our students how we're growing understanding in our teachers, how we're growing an understanding in our parents and having that shared practice. Not just shared language, shared practice. That's our great challenge. And a beautiful one at that, I would say. With respect to this, I would say, and I've said it in this document, find a profit. I work in Victoria with a guy called Mark Kutchi. He's a board member who has gone through and he has undertaken the Master of Educational Leadership with the National Institute. He's got a rich and deep understanding of who we are. And that's very helpful because I can imagine that sometimes talking to me, for most people, doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense to me and Mark... He's able to engage and we're able to have these discussions and these, you know, the things that keep us up at night together. I, I think at times because of our Dutch heritage we may think that having the prophet might be someone who's from the Reformed Church. I think that's too simplistic. I would say the prophet is the person who says to us, remember, we've got to talk about the vision of what we do. How does this, what we're talking about tonight affect the vision? Is it going to impact the vision? Is it consistent with the vision? Is it an outworking of the vision? Just like you may have a timekeeper. It's a different way to look at things. 
a reminder. Obviously, I would love it if the whole board was like that and you didn't have to do that. But sometimes we need those gentle reminders through the meetings as we go on and we go off on tangents about issues that seem important on the night. The challenge, I think, for us, if we're involved in board, is that we need to be countercultural. We need to have a different understanding, and there's a cost involved. Because we are concerned about success in some shape or form, and the school going well, and certain outcomes. So the practice of leadership for the Christian is sacrificial in character. To enact a vision of human flushering will in invariably challenge the given structures of a social order. How much do our schools challenge the social order? This pauses to stop me from going off on a tangent, by the way, and getting passionate about an area. Now, I want to move on a little bit to talk about leaders, even though that says teachers. There's an axiom. Teachers teach the way they are taught. In the book Better Learning that came out, I think in 2017, in the introduction of that, it says that we all bring different approaches to the faith, to schooling. We're a broad church but we also bring different approaches to education. My training in a certain context at a certain time has shaped my understandings of education. Where I went to school shaped my understandings of education. It's the same for the parents in your community. I think it's the same for leaders as well. I mean, if you've led somewhere else and then you come into a context, what did Rod say? Do the work, not import the solution. And this is a challenge for us. If we see a leader as a panacea, rather be vision-driven in our practice. Yesterday I heard the work of Darren Islin again being applauded. Um, he did much work on sustainable Christian school cultures. And he says in this quote, sustainable cultures cultiv are cultivated when teachers ensure the cultural story is always being told. Now that's the cultural story of the school, not their cultural story. Furthermore, he said, what was particularly revealing from the finding was that the core, that core cultural values and identity must be exemplified by somebody or some bodies and needed to go before, uh, beyond nicely presented prospectus documents, vision statements, symbolic elements and promotional materials. So the challenge that we have when we have a school leader and we have a school is whose vision is it? Because importing the solution may be importing a different approach to schooling. And as custodians of that vision as boards, we have to be mindful of such things. That's why I say you need to immerse yourself and immerse the parents in the history and the heritage and the understanding of our schools. Otherwise, people like myself can be incredibly convincing, but subtly changing the school over time. What in sense I'm suggesting that school leaders need to be themselves very humble and counter-cultural people regardless of where they come from, you know, they have to, again, in a different context, learn and listen and embed and immerse and be challenged and renewed. I reckon it would be really hard for someone who's come from another context, say they've done a Master of Education program, and then you said to them, 
Well, to really understand our schools, we think you need to do some study with the National Institute. I've done that. That would, you know, some reorientation of the thought processes would need to happen, wouldn't they? You'd have to be very humble to do that. So, what do we do with school leaders? What am I suggesting in this booklet? I'm suggesting that, and this is not a new suggestion, if you go anywhere in the leadership literature or you go in the school uh, culture literature, the vision is number one. I mean, really, if you're going to have a school and you've got a vision statement, everything needs to be driven through that statement. Uh, in, in, I would ask school leaders who are coming up with ideas, show me how it's consistent with the vision. It has to be the driver of practice. It has to be, once it's, once it's there in practice, you need to actually be embedding it as a school leader within the statements that you're giving back to the board and within the conversations that you're having with the staff, back and forth. The vision is always there before you because you embody that vision, you tell that vision. And the board should have an expectation that it's going to happen through there. We're talking in our language. It's not that you're talking in Christianese. You're talking in a language that you understand of the whys and the wherefores that you're doing things. I think it's fundamental uh, that school leaders maintain their heart health. Now, one of the things that is often said is that school leaders can change culture. I actually struggle with this a bit. I actually think um, there's only one culture you can change as a person, and that's your own. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. And if you've got hope to build a community centred around the vision, you've got to humble yourself for it to work within you. And you've got to have training for that purpose. At one of the CN schools where I had the privilege of being principal, my contract of employment on first reading looked a little weird. It had clauses around it, which included doing a Master of Education with the National Institute. It included coming to meetings like this. It literally said that I had to go to the CNAGM. And it said that I had to do these things. I found it a little bit bizarre at the time, but in reflecting back, I understand what they were trying to say. We want you, as a school leader, to submit to our vision for education, to engage with other CN leaders and to rub shoulders with them. So do we need to have that within our position descriptions and our contracts for our leaders? I'd say, unfortunately, yes. I would hope that we would do that anyway. In this current age in which we live, I think we need to embed them in there. A key element... Oh, I'll go back one. A key element that I haven't yet talked about is the building of capacity. I think it's fundamental as school leaders that we just try to do ourselves out of a job by giving opportunity for other people to do things. Always giving opportunity for other people to do things. If the school leaders need to be up the front all the time, there is an issue. You want to have a diversity of staff up there talking about things, sharing and growing in their understanding of what it is to follow the Lord and to show, showing the community that that's not one person's vision, it's a whole community's understanding. And we can all share that. Of course, there's a roadblock when you're a school leader and it's a sort of a roadblock that's in our whole lives and I hate it when people ask me the question, are you busy? Why do we have to be busy? I'm not busy doing bet 365 or something, but people just think they need to be busy and it's sort of a badge that you wear. Uh, there's a great chapter, I shared this with the um, new principals the other day, there's this great chapter in Everyday Theology that really unpacks busyness um, from a number of perspectives. It, it can be a vice, it can be a virtue. It's certainly biblical to use your time effectively. 
but we can succumb to busyness and it can be a badge of honour and it can be very much deeply embedded in what it is to be human, to think that we have all the answers if we are busy and we do everything. It's all about us. I tend to think the best school leaders are the ones that have a bit of time. They need time to reflect. Boards should be allowing people, their school leaders, to have time to reflect, to learn, to read, their feet up on their desk or whatever it is, reading something, thinking about it. Not all the time, obviously. <laughs> you don't just sit around your feet up and people walk in a room, yeah, I'm just smoking a cigar. It's not like that. <laughs> Key times for reflection. There is no true leadership without putting at risk one's time, wealth, reputation and position. In a related way, the practice of leadership is selfless in character. We want leaders who will submit ourselves to the school and work for the school, for the kingdom. To staff the hands. Not just the vision, but there's a number of statements which should set the practice, the standards for staff when they first come into the school. I mean, we want our staff, if we're going to have a particular culture, we want them to be able to sign up to a statement of faith. We want to embed certain things in their contracts. If we want our teachers to teach a certain way, if we want them to teach uh, in a biblical worldview, in, with a biblical worldview in the classroom, that has to be embedded in their position descriptions. Our particular approach to education should be there from the start. Professional learning programs too need to be around the purposes and the vision of the school. Schools are strange places and there's times school leaders may think their staff basically are subcontractors. They sort of, it's as though the classrooms are their own places and you're sort of just paying the money on the side and they're doing their thing and, and so they will do whatever PD that they want to do. And we, we have a very individualistic notion. The, the professional learning program of the school should be for the purposes of the school and include using the people who are the servants of the school, to assist the students to learn, to grow in their understanding what it is to be faithful followers of Christ through the education program. Sometimes we submit too much to the teachers and allow them to do too much. We need to be careful about that. We need to have a structured program that is clear. More than the vibe. Here we go going down that journey of Christ-centred education. Often we just don't explain what we mean by terminology. Uh, there's a couple of schools that I looked at their websites recently and they had, we, are, we teach from a Christ-centred perspective, they said two completely different things. And I thought, wow, you know, how... If you went from one of these schools to another one of these schools, you'd be really confused because you'd be using exactly the same language and doing something quite different. Whether it be in the Christian higher ed space or in the Christian schooling space, many find the language of Christian education, such as Christ education, vague, as it does little to assist teachers in the classroom. We need to make sure that we unpack what we mean when we talk like this. We need to find ways in which we empower our teachers to understand what it is to be faithful Christian educators within our classrooms. They want to see examples of practice. They want to see exemplars, team them up with people, have mentors, train them. TPD is great. It's been a great tool for us to help our teachers understand. There's so many teachers who have said about 
transformation by design. It is what I've needed. It's, it's bridged this gap between this language, which is vague, and my classroom. Teachers also want to be stretched. They really do. They love to be stretched and get opportunities to grow. And we need to be building capacity so they can understand and implement that vision better. And there are great opportunities to do that through the professional learning programs we've got. And I've suggested some of those at the bottom of the pages when you go through. Might be strange to say when you start with students that parents want success. I was at a scholarly gathering the other week and I heard this statement said, parents want success, students want success. We never unpacked what success is. What do we mean by success in schooling? In this context that I was in, I had a feeling that it meant a high ATAR score. That can be important. I wonder if we're producing students with great ATAR scores who've got no understanding of Christianity. See, the challenge is if we focus so much on the ATAR, we're allowing ourselves to live out of a particular worldview. And as Goheen and Bartholomew say, out of which worldview will we think? live and work. If we refuse to develop and indwell a Christian worldview, we will merely leave ourselves vulnerable to the influence of the other worldviews present in our culture that surrounds us. And of course we use worldview, and I mentioned it before, as something that we do to shape. So we're trying to interrogate this as we go through what we do. So what do we do with students? Well, one of the things that I've been doing in this area is uh, I've, I've developed a, um, a Christian perspective survey and so I've been working with some schools to try to get an understanding of what teachers think is happening in the classroom. What teachers think is happening across the school in their own classroom, what students are experiencing. Um, and in at least one context, I know they've used, the, the principal has used that as as an answer to the question back to the board, how are we embedding our vision in the life of the school? Because we've got to find ways to develop the conversation around kids being impacted for Christ in our boardrooms, in our executive meetings. question that I used to ask all the time is how is the school different? How are we different from the school down the road? Like what is different? If it's just that we have prayer at the start of an activity, is it that we have Christian kids that we might do a devotion? How are we different? What does it mean to be countercultural in our context? What does education mean that's countercultural? How do we unpack that? That is a great challenge for us in education because often our education looks very similar to that that is practised everywhere else. How are we telling the story of the faith? One way in which I have previously tried to address this is by, by saying, OK, what do we want our students to look like at the end of year six or the end of year 12? And working with the staff or working with the board or working with the leadership and saying, OK, we want our kids, for example, and I've, the example I've got in there is um, to develop a biblical worldview by the end of year 12. OK, that's our goal. So what are we going to put in place to do that across our school? If we're going to be intentional about this stuff, what you know, we've got to have goals that we're aiming for and ways to embed those things. If we don't think about it, then we won't do it. But we've got to try to find ways to address it. It's a great activity to do with staff. Gets them thinking. It's a great activity to do with parents. Imagine that in a parent forum. What do you want your child to look like at the end of their experience at Mount Evelyn Christian School? and unpacking it. Let's 
flesh that out. We've got some statements, but we really think we need to bring them you know, into a, a new generation. Tell us what you're thinking. What are the issues that you face? Unfortunately, as I've said before, we're very culturally bound. So I, I think um, often when we go and we look at schools, our mindset that we have elsewhere we bring to a school. So we bring the fact that we're a shopper in that space. It's a great challenge. And James Smith, of course, says this in a number of books. Um, he's got a little section in We Are What We Love that talks about um, shopping just like he does in other uh, places. But when it comes to schooling, I tend to think the people, uh, parents are drawn to our schools, some of them because they have a faith experience themselves, others, uh, or the same ones, it may be uh, the values are really important, they're not so interested in Christianity, but they want the values without the sacrifice, of course. They want their kids to come out as well-rounded children. Um, they, they believe they've got a caring Christian environment, so they're looking for individualised pathways and pastoral care. Uh, they may think it's an independent school, like-minded people, great sporting programs. Um, they get an opportunity to go on certain camps in certain places. Um, they think that you deliver good, res re good results, or they've gone onto a website and had a look at that. Uh, fundamentally, to be happy and safe. Mind you, that language has changed over the last few years. You don't have kids that you want to be happy anymore. You want them to feel happy. <coughs> so if their kids don't feel happy at school, that's when the parent comes in and, and tells off the teacher or has to go at the principal. If they don't feel happy. And the, and the tr trouble with this when you're a parent is if it's hard to think in a, of another way. Like if, if you said to me, what do you want for your children? I'm not going to say, well, young Josh, oh, I don't mind if he's not happy. I just want him to be, have a rigorous, deep biblical understanding of life. You know, it, it doesn't wash all that well, does it? You know, I've got a sad, morose son there who can read the Bible well. Uh, the challenge for me, though, is that when we adopt some of this cultural lens as well as our Christian lens, we, we often have an approach to schooling which is more like, um, more like moralistic therapeutic deism because um, the why, our purpose for life, is not about glorification of the Lord. It's not about living as a servant in discipleship. It's about the young person being happy um, and right and wrong is not biblically bound or biblically grounded. It's, it's about just being nice and really not upsetting them. And often, I, I think this is the, the gospel of today. And I'm not saying for those outside the church. I'm saying the gospel of today for us in the church. We, we, we get stuck in this sort of stuff. So, I mean, our challenge is to work out how we engage our parents um, when they come to the school. And I, and I said this last night. I mean, if you're going to convince me of, of the, you know, vision for education and you uh, vision a distinctive approach for education, yet, you know, you're advertising Victoria on Light FM or something like that, or you've, you've got your brochures or your website, and all you're talking about is the fact that you know, these kids get to go on this mission trip uh, and, they've got, and we've got this great outdoor ed camp and you've got these great experiences. What you're actually saying is the kids who are the wealthier ones in the school can do these things because the other ones can't. And I've seen that in action. That's the challenge. You know, why don't we focus on what's happening in the classroom Monday to Friday? I, I, it's a bizarre thing at times. It's as though school's on the weekend, isn't it? It's, or at night. Um, you know, the kids get to... Uh, we do a great production. Do you do great things in your classroom? How do you get that across to parents in your advertising? Because you need to do that because otherwise you're telling your staff that you value those other things as well. Sometimes more so. 
And, and I struggled a lot with staff devotions and they would always talk about their holidays when they went somewhere else and how wonderful they were and they had these mountaintop experiences of the Lord. It's this understanding. It's not, what, what about the everyday? We have to be people who live in the ordinariness of life, across the ordinariness of life. And so we have these information nights and I've been to information nights where you go up there and the person would pray at the start of the evening and then they would go on and talk about everything else as though the gospel doesn't matter. Or you'd say something like, we believe in Christ-centred education and we've got a great program here and here and there. And, you know, I would struggle with that because I'd be thinking, what do you mean by Christ-centred education? Can you please tell me? And I would be thinking that I'm the weirdo in the room because I'm stuck on that and everyone else has gone on to talk about this great thing that the kids get to do at school in a safe environment. How do we show our parents what the school's about? Get a teacher to run a session. Get a teacher to talk about what they're doing in the classroom. Take a short video clip of a lesson where kids are unpacking something. Get a few things like that rather than just pray. Have the vision before, let me show you what school's about. Because sometimes some of those parents, regardless of our desires to partner with them, will may be only coming into school once or twice a year. And we want to be able to share the vision with them. And we want to be able to encourage, as some of our schools do, the deeper learning through having parent nights, parent forums, deeper discussions, perhaps having a newsletter once or twice a year that embraces the deeper issues and doesn't just talk about the activities of students. And getting some of your staff to write about such things to the, you know, a biblical understanding of what we're doing in science or maths. You know, we did this great thing uh, you know, in a park across the road and you talk about that from a biblical worldview perspective. And of course, if we believe in the vision of C and we want our parents to be involved in every aspect of school, if we can. Penultimately, is this right? Am I up to the penultimate? Great, excellent. <laughs> You've fallen asleep, Jerry. Come on. The world of ideas. I love the world of ideas, as you can understand. I want to talk about this fellow called Jesus. Christ-centred. Because Christ-centred often means that we have to be servants. And in my... You let her have a favourite gospel, Rod? I haven't asked you that question. Oh, thank you. If you said no, I may have to resign. There's lots of stories about Jesus. Sometimes the bits that happen between the stories can be really important. One day, Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. I'll tell you what happens after that in a minute. But I reckon following Jesus around, being one of those 12, you'd be there going, oh, he's not going to do it again, is he? You know, because there's all these people there. There's There's the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord. Jesus is there. He's going to pick a fight with him. We're just going to be sitting in the corner thinking, please don't hurt us. Because he does. He picks fights, doesn't he? I'm not sure that's what we talk about when we talk about Christ-centred. Picks arguments with people. And he clashes with their ideas. Clashes. And he interrogates their ideas. So straight after this story, we get a depiction of a man who is unable to come to Jesus to be healed, so his four friends bring him. And somehow they get him through the roof before him, and instead of saying, you're healed, get up and walk, he says, your sins are forgiven. And it messes with their minds. If we ever need a depiction of Jesus messing with people's minds of that Christianity is about ideas, think about that. Why would he say that? The guys would go, I can't believe he said that. Why did he just heal the bloke? 
we'll just be on our way. And then, of course, we have this discussion that, you know, what does it mean to be healed? What does it mean to be whole? That's what the curriculum is about. The world of ideas. Unfortunately, what can happen at the principal level, at the board level, at the statement level, it gets filtered through the school all the way down and that's a challenge for us. So we need to find ways, whether we're board members or school leaders, to get glimpses into the classroom, to find ways to do that. And sometimes that's through things like in an appraisal process, you know, getting teachers to unpack a biblical worldview. Or it might be something that they're doing in their professional learning before the other staff that you have leaders at. Or it might be even inviting a, a teacher to come to a board meeting to quickly unpack that. I say quickly because you'll probably want to talk about the enrolments and the finances. <laughs> Biblical studies can be something that is fantastic in educating kids about the gospel. But do we use that to underpin the understanding of creation, full redemption, the story of the Bible, the way that to understand who God is and how we respond to God is? Like Leviticus 19, be holy because... And that's fleshed out. I also encourage in schools to get a worldview coach. What I mean by a worldview coach is one of the teachers who's experienced, perhaps not a member of the leadership team, in fact, as a member of the leadership team, it's probably problematic, just another teacher who's just great at, at engaging kids from a Christian perspective within the classroom. And they're the sort of helpful friend for those teachers who are struggle, who are just a little bit shy and just won't be able to, and they organise appointments. They only need to have like half a day or a day a week, you know, dedicated to that. Just assisting those, equipping those teachers so that curriculum becomes real and true for people. For my way of thinking, this man has been very helpful for me. Um, John Stott, in his last book, our common way of avoiding radical discipleship, and that's what our schooling is about, radical discipleship, is to be selective, choosing those areas in which commitments suit us and staying away from those which, in which it will be costly. I know that happens in my own life. Um, so I'm offering you an opportunity um, for reflection through this booklet to think about how you can impact on your own uh, school culture. So thank you for your time this morning. I hope that you uh, take the opportunity to read what I've provided for you and it's helpful for you. Um, I imagine that if I have more time or into the future, I may expand on such things. They're just ideas um, and other people can add to them and we can um, build some depth. So thank you, Mark. Thank you.